This weekend I had the privilege of celebrating a wedding down in the city and it was in one of these grand old churches probably from the 1870s, 1880s and somewhere it had fallen into disrepair so group came along, refurbished it. It's gorgeous, it's beautiful, it's enormous um, and some would say it's very traditional so they preserved the stained glass, there's statues everywhere, side altars. Again, very beautiful. But for some people, they would say, yeah, this is it. This is the real church. You know, this, this is where Jesus is. Why don't they build them like this anymore? And then maybe they have issues with newer churches or whatever. But what always strikes me as curious in these grand old churches that are, believe me, quite beautiful, is that the baptismal font, if for some reason you decided to move it, and let's just say you put it in the middle of a park, you'd swear it was a birdbath. Because they're usually about this high, and they're maybe this round, and they hold about a gallon of water, and all this enormous splendor. There's this tiny little baptismal font. And when you go into these, you know, hip new churches, more often than not, the baptismal fonts look like yours. They're certainly big enough to put a baby in, and often large enough for a person to get in. Now, this isn't just the cranky harangue of an old priest. I mean, maybe it is, but don't pick on my hobbies. It's simply saying there's something there in the architecture itself that people like Paul understood. Give all the glory to God. Give the grandeur to God. Build your cathedrals as high as you want, but there is nothing you're going to construct with your hands and your ingenuity that's even come close to the grandeur of what's happening at that baptismal font. Okay, I want to draw our attention to a book that probably isn't everybody's favorite. It only gets one Sunday in the entire three-year cycle, and that's the second reading from today, Paul's letter to Philemon. It's just one page. If you're in Bible class and the teacher says, go to Philemon, you know, it's going to take a while to find it. It's an extraordinary letter. And I really would suggest if you wrestle sometimes with Paul, trying to understand what's Paul all about, go to that letter. But of course, as always, there's a backstory, and you don't get the backstory when you just hear the reading. So, real quickly, let me just tell you what it is. So, Paul is an old man, it's near the end of his life. And he's writing to Philemon, who's almost certainly a Roman citizen, fairly well-to-do. And Philemon has a slave named Onesimus, okay? Wonderfully pronounced, Onesimus. Onesimus has escaped. Now, Onesimus is baptized, probably by Paul himself. So here's the deal. Paul has a friend, his friend has a slave, but they've both come into the church. They're both baptized Christians. The slave runs away and he comes to Paul. And so Paul is writing to his friend Philemon, asking him to take Onesimus back. You say, okay, fine, little domestic situation there. But it's the language that Paul uses. Sometimes, look, a rainy, cloudy day, go pull it up when you get home. He says, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. And then he says, receive him as you would receive my heart. Now, that maybe just sounds like, okay, that's nice, but we got to try and put ourselves in that world. This is a slave. This is a non-human, as they viewed it in their society. 
And Paul is saying, I want you to receive him as you would receive me. I want you to receive him as you would receive my heart. What I'm getting at here is that for Paul, he believed this stuff. It's Paul who gives us the language of the baptism rite. I see it's all set up. There's obviously going to be a baptism later today. You are a new creation. That's why we wear those white garments. Elsewhere, Paul says the world is transformed. Everything has changed because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and then the coming of the Holy Spirit for us. But when I say Paul really believed it, the letter to Philemon is the perfect example. That's where the rubber hits the road because you got this real guy named Onesimus who's a slave who for no reason in the world should his owner take him back as he would receive Paul himself, let alone as he would receive Paul's heart. And so Paul is acting on this. He doesn't think he's writing a letter of the New Testament. He's just writing a letter saying, hey, I got this slave, he ran away from you. I know how you're probably thinking you're going to treat him, but you better receive him as you would receive my own heart. Why? For Paul, the answer to that is very simple. Because we've all been baptized. Because we've all been brought into this new reality. Because whether everyone around us recognizes it or not, everything has changed. And so that can sound like nice Bible language, except here's an example of Paul actually making a concrete decision, saying, this is how I want you to act. This is how your life should look different between you and Onesimus. This is how the life of this slave should be transformed forever. I really believe that, Paul says. So, all that I'm saying is I think it's a good maybe challenge, invitation, a little kick in the pants sometimes to say, what does our baptism mean for us? What is this transformed world that we talk about and sing about, right? Kingdom, heaven and earth, we sang about it coming in. And we shouldn't be naive, and Paul wasn't naive. You know, slavery in the Roman Empire didn't crumble away because he wrote that letter to Philemon. But it isn't so much about, is the rest of the world going to change? It's about what is being transformed in your heart and in mine. The transformation for Paul was that he had no doubt whatsoever that his baptized friend had been changed. He had no doubt whatsoever that he should behave differently. And when the slave came to him, he should simply say, no, go back to your master. We're all baptized, go back. He's going to receive you. And some might say that's naive. All that I'm saying is Paul was living his convictions. And so maybe just a little invitation for a spiritual exercise in this 23rd week of ordinary time. And just to ask ourselves, is there somewhere, something in our life, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's an attitude that we have, that we would just say if we sat back on balance, this should be totally different than it is. It doesn't have to be this way. Why am I stuck in this? Why is this relationship frozen? Why is that shame or embarrassment just hanging over me like a ball and chain? And then do what Paul did. But again, be realistic, right? Paul didn't say, I'm going to change the Roman Empire tomorrow. What he did is he acted in his own little sphere of influence. So don't pick something that's not likely ever to happen because it just isn't possible. Stay with what is right there at my fingertips and yours. 
But just like Paul, you know, the person you don't think you're ever going to talk to again because they wouldn't so much as even look at a text from you, send it. Send it anyways. If you don't text, God love you. You know, find them. Write them a letter. Talk to them. If there's something that you're not doing because you feel like, what's the point? I've tried it so many times. I just get shot down. Do it again. But don't measure the value of it based on whether or not the other person changes or whether or not this or that is accomplished. The non-baptized society says that's how you measure things. And don't bother pouring the water unless you know you're going to have results tomorrow. And the transformed world of Paul and you and I, or else we wouldn't be here, that transformed world says no. The value in you acting like one of the baptized is in the action itself. Its value does not inhere in what sort of changed world you wake up to tomorrow. Because the voice of the lie says nothing changes. And the truth of Paul is that everything changes. So I get it. I get it. We're human. We can feel discouraged. We can feel saddened. But that's why we do what we're doing now. That's why we come together to really say, no, I'm a witness to the fact that something is different. Something has changed. And as I said, just an invitation for all of us to maybe pick that one thing this week and just step into it as if the world really is different. And what I love about this church, and I don't care how many side altars you don't have or how many statues haven't been put up or how many stories your ceiling doesn't reach to, Doggone it, every time you come in here, you walk by a font that you could jump in because it is a changed world.